good day and welcome to the Mercy Hill Podcast. My name is Lawson Harlow and I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill Church. What you are about to listen to is a sermon that was preached during our weekly worship services in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We hope that you will be encouraged by the preaching of the word as you aim to follow Jesus and make disciples. For more information about Mercy Hill Church, you can visit mercyhillob.org or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mercyhillchurchob. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Romans, the book of Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in the second half of verse 13 this morning. I told you last week that we were going to look at the first half of verse 13 then, and then we would look at the second half this morning, but we'll read this morning just to kind of get our bearings. We'll read verses 3 through 21. So once you find that in your Bible, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, if you would stand in honor of God's word. We believe that these words are given by inspiration of God and are the only sufficient, certain, and authoritative rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Lord, whom have we in heaven but you? To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Therefore, now we come to your word, seeking those words of eternal life. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us a mind to understand, give us a heart to believe, give us a spirit to obey. Guide us with your counsel, O Lord. May the preaching of your word be accompanied by the power of your spirit. And may you teach us this morning of who you are, and may we be enthralled by you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we find ourselves at the end of verse 13. Verse 13 reads, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
And really one way that we could understand what we've done last week and what I hope to do today is that we've made sure that our definition of two words is Christian or is biblical. We made sure last week that our definition of the word contribute was full of what the Bible sees as contributing. We understood that that to contribute to the needs of the saints has a lot more to do with the rhythm of our life than it does with our checkbook. We understood that to contribute to the needs of the saints means to share in those needs, to to live amongst one another in, in close relationship and in deep fellowship so that we can give to the needs of the saints as they arise and so that we can continually give to the needs of the saints. Well, this morning, I hope that in our time together, we will fill up this word hospitality, that we will understand more clearly what, what Paul means when he says, seek to show hospitality. In one way, if you were with us last week to, to kind of link these two together, is last week we, we looked at what it meant to share in the needs of the saints. And this week, I want to see how, how Paul sees us sharing in the needs of the saints, namely, in close community that is hospitable to one another. And so you might be sitting here in about 15 minutes and think, I think we read some of those passages last week. We did. But I hope to, to kind of point us in a different direction, maybe take a slightly different focus as we work our way through uh, this verse this morning. So just as a reminder, verse 13, the second half, seek to show hospitality. That's going to be our uh, our launch point for this morning. If you like to take notes and you want to have a, a roadmap for us, there's four points. The, the first is that we're going to define hospitality, so hospitality defined. You'll see second that we will see hospitality exemplified, third, uh, hospitality commanded, and then fourth, hospitality applied. And so we'll, that's kind of where we'll make our way. So first, hospitality defined. Hospitality means making strangers friends. Now, I said that I wanted to redefine the word hospitality with a Christian meaning because I think especially in our context, the word hospitality has taken on meanings that are, in my estimation, sub-Christian. We live, most of us in Mississippi, known for its, what kind of hospitality? Southern. That's right. You all knew, right? We, we're, we live in a place known for its southern hospitality. And when I say southern hospitality, things come to your mind that I don't think Paul had in mind when he said, seek to show hospitality. There is not, there's not a vision of Southern Living Magazine when Paul says, seek to show hospitality. And so when we think of this word hospitality, I, I guarantee that all of us have a connotation in our head that in some way is skewed away from what Paul says when he says, seek to show hospitality. And so what does this word mean? I love this word hospitality. It's a compound word. So it's two words put together. And the two words that it puts together are friend and stranger. Literally to to make a stranger a friend. So hospitality then, when he says seek to show hospitality, he's saying that hospitality is quite literally making a stranger a friend. And we we could work out several definitions of this. In, in very general terms, hospitality is welcoming guests or strangers. Or you might say that Christian hospitality has to do with both, with both the action of hosting, the action of welcoming a stranger, but also the loving of that stranger because Christ has called us to love. 
Or maybe you could think of hospitality in this way. John Piper describes it. He says, the willingness to welcome people into your home, and then he puts into parentheses, or your apartment, who don't ordinarily belong there. I love the language of who don't ordinarily belong there, because you can think of people who wouldn't necessarily stay there all the time, but you're welcoming people who are not those people into your home and into your space. And as you look at over the thousands, literally, of years Christians have been talking about this verse, you get a wide array of opinions about what Paul means when he says to show hospitality, to welcome a stranger, mostly about who, in fact, is a stranger. I want to argue to you this morning that when Paul tells us to practice hospitality, that he means he, he has a wide intended audience, that, that he intends for us to practice hospitality toward unbelievers, toward those who are outside of Christ, that he intends for us to practice hospitality toward believers from other places. And so you, you, you get this in the immediate context. You have believers from other places who are traveling, and there's not a holiday inn, but there are people who share the image of Christ, and they can stay with them. I think that we, we practice hospitality toward believers that we don't know well. And so you can look around this room, right, and you can see other brothers and sisters in this room who you know of and who you know their name, or maybe you don't know their name, but you know that they're a brother and sister. You can practice hospitality toward them. And then I think finally, if we're, if we're kind of taking an outward to inward look, you can practice hospitality toward believers that you do know well. And we'll talk about that as we go along this morning. And so if I was going to kind of pull all of that together, if I was going to make a definition of hospitality that I want to guide us this morning, it would be this. Christian hospitality, making note of the Christian there, Christian hospitality is the loving welcome of both unbelievers and believers at varying degrees of strangerness, I created that word, into your space in life as an overflow of what Christ has done for you. I want to read that again and kind of break it apart for us. Christian hospitality is the loving welcome of both unbelievers and believers at varying degrees of strangeness into your space and life as an overflow of what Christ has done for you. Note the Christian there. This is the type of hospitality that we're exploring this morning. It's the loving welcome. Peter says in his epistle in, in 1 Peter, he says that, that above all we should love, and then he says, and that we should practice hospitality, that we should be hospitable. So it's the loving welcome to both unbelievers and believers. So that kind of, that kind of welcome to those who are in Christ and those who are not at varying degrees of strangerness. So we have, we have believers who we're very close with and believers who we're not as close with, believers who live other places, believers who, who, who come from other places, into your space in life, so kind of the, the intrusion, the invasion aspect, into your space in your life. Now, what happens when people come into your life? You get to share with them what Christ has done in your life, what he is doing. And we do this as an overflow of what Christ has done for us. And I think that last part is very important. So I want to move into our second point. That since Christian hospitality is an overflow of the, of the hospitality we've been shown in Christ, I want us to explore that hospitality just for a moment. So number two, hospitality exemplified. Christ has accomplished the ultimate act of hospitality. Last week, I very generally said that we are a needy people, and I showed how Christ 
meets our greatest need, which is our separation from him, our need for him. This morning, I want to get a little bit more pointed about how Christ has actually accomplished the ultimate act of hospitality. And so I just want to run through a few things that we know are true first. We were far off, and he brought us near. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We read elsewhere in the scriptures that once you were not a people, and now you are God's people. When we think about the reality that we were far off and he brought us near, if you take this back into the context that it was written in, what what Paul is saying is there's no more enmity between Jew and Gentile. And that's lost on us today. But but the amount of enmity that existed beforehand, for Paul to say there's there's no more enmity if you're in Christ. You're a new creation. You, You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were far off. And he brought us near. And often we can be reminded of how far off we actually were. And by his power in Christ, those of us who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. But not only were we far off and he brought us near, we were enemies and he made us friends. I love the verse John 15, 15 that says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is, this is beyond my comprehension to say that Christ has called us friends. Romans 5, we've already studied it. Romans 5.10, Paul would say, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, that he had take, he's taken enemies and made us friends. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That we have been reconciled to God in Christ. That we who were enemies have been made friends. But it's still sweeter. It's not only that we who are far off have been brought near and that we who are enemies have been made friends, but we who were slaves have been made sons. He, we were slaves and he made us sons. Romans 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. We were slaves and he made us sons. And if we're sons, then we're heirs, heirs with Christ, that we will reign with him forever, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love he has for us as his children. Not only that, we were hungry and thirsty, and he has satisfied us in himself. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Christ 
accomplish the ultimate act of hospitality and that we who are hungry and thirsty, he has satisfied us in himself. And not only that, we've just been reminded this morning that we had nothing to offer and he invited us to the feast, that we had nothing that we could bring and he provided it all. Isaiah 55, I think, so beautifully says this when it, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your, and labor, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you should call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. We take of this table this morning, and we're reminded that we had nothing to pay, nothing to bring, that there was nothing that we had that was enough, and that all of it is provided in him. And then as we looked last week, we were abandoned and he gave us a home. Mark 10, 29-30, I know we read it last week and I want to read it again just to remind us. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children, in lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. We were abandoned. He gave us a home. John 14 would say that we have a home in Him, and we have a home in the church. We looked at this last week, that we who share in the needs of one another, that we who were isolated and far away, He gave us a home in Christ, a home that we as we practice hospitality, welcome our brothers and sisters into in a home that we plead for those who are outside to come into. And you might ask yourself, this seems really similar to pretty much every sermon that we've ever heard at Mercy Hill. Why do we keep reminding ourselves of the fact that the gospel changes everything? Why do we keep reminding ourselves of the fact that Christ is the true and better one? That Christ is the one who has, in this case, shown the greatest act of hospitality. And it's become a habit over the past several months to say that we don't look to what's downstream. We look to the fountain or to the source. And when I think about hospitality, when I think about what hospitality demands of us, and when I think about what hospitality means long-term in our lives, there is no other way to do it than to start by looking at the source. We will not have longevity or usefulness in our hospitality if we don't look first to the source. There won't be any way for us to, to stay the course of hospitality if we're not looking at the hospitality that Christ has accomplished on our behalf, the hospitality that he has shown us. If we're not glorying in what Christ has done, then we'll get burnt out and annoyed and we'll get tired of, of the, 
the difficulties involved, and we'll quickly run out of motivation to be hospitable. And so we first look at the example, the best example of hospitality. But I want us, third, to look to verse 13 specifically in the language that Paul uses. So number three, hospitality commanded. We regularly, regularly pursue a life of hospitality. What is the command that Paul gives us in, in verse 13? He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Seek to show is, is how the ESV renders this. It's, it's the word pursue. And interestingly enough, it's the same word that we see in verse 14 where it says persecute. So connotations matter and, and, and context matters. But in verse 13 where it says seek to show hospitality, it's literally saying pursue hospitality. Pursue hospitality with passion, to eagerly seek after hospitality, to seek after making strangers friends, to seek after causing those who are far off to come in and to be close. Pursue, seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire hospitality. That we seek eagerly and earnestly the loving welcome of, of unbelievers and be believers at varying degrees of strangerness into our space and our life as an overflow of what Christ has done for us. But we also see in, in verse 13 that it, it's not merely saying seek to show hospitality or pursue hospitality, but this word is, is in present tense and it's a, it's a participle. And so what we understand is that this is an action that continues. Paul's not saying, seek to show hospitality once, mark it off your list, and go to the next one. He's not saying, try it out maybe, and then go on to something else. He says, eagerly, earnestly endeavor to show, to pursue hospitality now and in your Christian life. And you, you might wonder, and sometimes I sit around and, and as I'm thinking about these texts and I wonder, why did Paul command this? There are things that we don't have to be commanded to do because they come naturally to us. Why did Paul have to command that we seek to show hospitality? I think it's because it is completely opposite our natural inclinations. It's completely opposite our sinful flesh. Because what is it that our sinful flesh wants? Our sinful flesh wants to own every minute of every day. At least mine does. Our sinful flesh wants to spend time how we want to spend time. It wants to keep up the illusion of perfection toward those around us. Our sinful flesh wants to hide who we might be behind closed doors from our brothers and our sisters. And so Paul commands hospitality because it flies in the face of what our flesh would be happy with. He says, pursue hospitality. But this word is used several times in the New Testament, and I want to run through each of those because I think it's helpful for us to, to get this full-orbed view of what hospitality means. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 8 and going down to verse 10, Peter says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I love how Peter says this. It reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes these these laws that they knew, whether it was adultery or murder, and he says, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder, but if you've hated someone in your heart, then you've already murdered him. Peter does something similar for us here. When he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, I think it's there to remind us that if we grumble about our hospitality, then we haven't really shown hospitality. That our hospitality is birthed out of what does verse 8 say? Our hospitality is birthed out of love. Keep loving one another earnestly. When we love one another, we will be hospitable toward one another without grumbling. And what is the basis of our hospitality? Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That we are hospitable toward one another based on the grace that we have in Christ. The writer of Hebrews also picks up this language in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. He says, let brotherly love continue. Interestingly, how they, they correspond. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. He says, do not neglect. So if Paul says, pursue, the writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect. We have the positive command to pursue hospitality. We have the negative command not to neglect hospitality. And we could go even further. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul tells Timothy that for elders of the church, To be an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. For widows, in, in 1 Timothy 5, to be enrolled in the service of the church, it says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. The New Testament places very much value on hospitality. But it's not just in the New. The Old Testament has similar commands. Leviticus 19, verses 33 to 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. Listen to how otherworldly that is. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. Verse 34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What does God say to the people of Israel? He says, if there's a stranger among you, you treat him as the native among you. You love him as yourself. Why? Because you were strangers in Egypt. He says, and I am the Lord your God. Almost as if to say, how did you get out of Egypt? I am the Lord your God. The example of the Old Testament is, that, is one of hospitality. The example of Jesus, much, much, in much lesser ways than what we've already seen, is an example of hospitality. At multiple points in the Gospels, including Mark 7, 17, I'll just read this one. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Mark 9, similar. 
And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? I love this. The example of Jesus, Jesus, though the scriptures say he had no place to lay his head, he practiced hospitality toward his disciples and answering their questions and discussing the day in homes. Not only that, he accepted the hospitality of others. In Luke chapter 7, we get a picture, verses 36 through 39, we get a picture of Jesus accepting the hospitality of a Pharisee. Verse 36 says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, again, accepts hospitality, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Christ, the one who scriptures say had no place to lay his head, practices hospitality. We see him show hospitality in several different points in the Gospels. He shows hospitality to the woman at the well. He shows hospitality in saying that the little children should come to him. He invites himself to several men's houses. But not only is this the example of, the, of Jesus, it's also the example of the early church. When you think about the early church and the church begins and, and it's just exploding with, with people who are being saved and they're being baptized and, they, and they're, they're all there. People had to be hospitable. When you think about the, the amounts of believers who lost the things that Jesus said that people would lose, who lost homes and fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and, and spouses, who lost those things and those people who were they taken in by? The example of the early church is Acts 2, 46 and 47, that day by day they were tending the temple, breaking bread in their homes, that they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They praised God and had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And as they're being saved, what are they being, what's happening to them? They're being invited in to, to break bread and to share time together and to, and to share with one another. Acts 5, every day and in the temple, what, what are the apostles doing? They're going from house to house, and they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I hope that what we see from the testimony of the Scriptures is that this is not obscure, that this is not, this is not just a, a random command added on here in, in Romans 12, 13, that this is something that is near to the heart of God, that this is, is a normative and expected thing for the people of God. And I think as we look at Romans 12, 13, one of the things that we might wonder about or might be thinking through or working through, at least for me, is what exactly does this look like? What does it mean to be hospitable, to pursue hospitality, to pursue making strangers friends? And we've seen the heart behind it. We've seen what Christ did for us in, in the most hospitable act of, of making strangers friends. But I think there are ways, and we can, we'll work through them, so this is number four, hospitality applied. There are ways that we can think through hospitality to see that all of us pursue hospitality in various ways. And so, again, from the outset, I, I said this last week, and I'm, I'm saying it again 
hear my heart, I'm not trying to bind anyone's conscience. I just am trying to work through the command of Christ into the, the various ways that we can obey it. So how do we do it? Last week I had 14. I think I have 19 this week. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got time, right? We got time. First, we preach to ourselves of the hospitality of Christ. We begin here. We have to. We have to remind ourselves of the hospitality of Christ because when hospitality is hard, some vague feeling of altruism or feeling good about ourselves isn't going to get us through. So when we, when we think about being hospitable, we start by saying, what has Christ done for me? Who is Christ? How has he been hospitable to me? And so that when we don't know how to be hospitable or how to go on being hospitable, we say, what did Christ do? So we preach to ourselves the hospitality of Christ, not only because of those things, but because it reminds us of what has been done for us. I promise you, none of us will give to our brothers and sisters what Christ has given to us. So we preach to ourselves of the hospitality of Christ. Second, we remember that Christ equates hospitality with serving him. It's a fascinating passage of scripture in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching, and and this is verses 34 and 39, and he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you and from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you, we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here's what's amazing. You practice hospitality towards someone, and they walk out of your life. Was it wasted? No, because no hospitality is wasted, because all hospitality is serving Christ. That if we practice Christian hospitality, Christ says that what we do to the least of these, we have done to him. That frees us up. We don't just have to be hospitable to the people that we think are going to stick around. We don't just have to be hospitable to the people that are easy to be hospitable to. We don't just have to be hospitable to the the people that are are closest or that are the most like us in other ways. No hospitality is wasted. Third, we remember that nothing that we have is truly ours. We were talking in the back this morning that this is what the rich young ruler missed. This is what he what he missed, what he didn't understand, what he didn't get, that all that he had was worthless. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Acts 4, speaking of the early church, we read this last week, that it says that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And again, I will, I'll just say, I don't think that Luke here is, is advocating for some kind of Christian communism. I don't think that that's what he's doing, or Christian socialism. I think what he is saying is that, yes, in reality, 
According to the government, we own things. According to what seems like common sense, we own things. But in the eyes of eternity, in the eyes of God, the one who sees more clearly than us, we don't own anything. That nothing is ours. Which I think frees us up. It frees us up to be hospitable because we understand that our time does not belong to us. That our homes do not belong to us. That our groceries do not belong to us. That our kitchen tables do not belong to us. That our money doesn't belong to us. That our vehicles do not belong to us. It helps us. It frees us to have open hands to say, I've been given everything that I have. That it all belongs to God. That there is nothing that I own that is truly mine. So I can give it away. And I'm really worried that you hear a point like this and you think that what I'm saying is the only way to do that is to sell everything that you have and move somewhere else into a far place. And maybe some of you are being called to that. But I have, I have ordinary in mind. I have making enough chicken for one more person. I have setting up a bedroom in your home if you have an extra one for those who might need a place to stay. I have being okay if your kitchen table gets scratched. This is preaching to myself. (laughs) I have being willing to, to swipe your card for something for someone else. Nothing that we have is truly ours. Fourth, we believe that hospitality should be practiced by all of us. Again, I'm not trying to bind your conscience, but I I see in Romans 12, 13, where it says, it's just a clear command, seek to show hospitality. And I know because it's happening in my own heart, and it has all week as I've studied, there's excuses coming up in your mind. There's excuses coming up in my mind. And my plea is that we would put to death our excuses. You might say, well, actually, I don't have a home. Luke 9 says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You might say, I have no time. And I would, I would plead with you to, to build margin into your life. Again, preaching to myself to build margin into our lives so that we can obey this command to, seek, to show hospitality, that we can pursue hospitality in the margin of our life. You might say, I'm too young. I'm just in college or I'm just a teenager. I, 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 there's no way for me to show hospitality. When the reality is if you've, wel- if you've experienced the welcome of Christ, then you can dispense that welcome to your brothers and sisters. We can welcome people in a myriad ways. You might say, well, I'm not married. When I'm married, I have a nice house with a kitchen table and I learn some recipes, then I can be hospitable. I just don't see that in the fine print of Romans 12, 13. I think that what we see is, and, and, and hear my heart, I, I, I love you, and, and, I, and I want what's, what's Christ-honoring for all of us. Pra- hospitality is, is for all of us, for every single one of us. And you can fill in any of these blanks with, I'm not blank enough. I'm not extroverted enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not home enough. I'm not, I'm not a good enough cook. I'm not married. I'm not old enough. I don't have kids. I don't own my home. 
all of us have the command, have the opportunity, as ones who have been welcomed by Christ, have, have the ability, by the power of the Spirit, to be hospitable. Fifth, we acknowledge that hospitality is a sacrifice, but that it's a sacrifice that we're willing to make. What we understand is that hospitality is costly. We're going to talk a little bit in a minute about the fact that it doesn't have to be expensive, but it is costly. So we work hard. We work hard so that we can share what we have. We keep our homes so that we can invite those who are outside in. And hospitality can mean things. It can mean trips not taken. It can mean grocery budgets that are bigger than they used to be. It can mean me time not obtained. It can mean house projects not completed. It can mean family time interrupted. It can mean a myriad of other things, but is it not worth it? Because what else does it mean? It could mean trips taken together. <laughs> it could mean groceries leading to meals shared together. It can lead to me time turning into our time where I can bear my soul to you and you can bear my burdens with me. It can lead to house projects that are shared with people who have different gifts and abilities than you do. It can lead to family time that is welcomed with other members of your family that we discussed last week who are closer than blood. Christ is so kind in giving us a family that we can share with. And it is a sacrifice. It is difficult. But it's worth it. Remember, and this is kind of a sub-point, but I'm counting it, we remember that while hospitality is a sacrifice, it does not have to be expensive. You don't have to have people over for steak every week. I mean, if you do, invite me, but you don't have to, <laughs> right? You don't have to. It doesn't have to be expensive. And I love this because this is, I'm not trying to say to you that you need to prepare for double every night when you cook dinner and you need to have, have this kind of food and you need to have four appetizers and you need to have three desserts. What can you do? Well, I can't afford to, to feed four extra people tonight. I can't afford to buy a tub of ice cream and to say, come over for dessert at seven o'clock and let's just glory in Christ together. I can't afford to say, I bought this tub of coffee and I can put some on and we can just spend time together. I would love for you to, to come and spend time with me. Hospitality is a sacrifice, but it doesn't have to be expensive. Which, reminds, which leads to this, the next one, which is that we invite each other into our homes and into our lives. Rosaria Butterfield said, Our homes are not our castles. Indeed, they are not even ours. You can fill in the blank that your house is not big enough or it's not new enough, that the furniture is not nice enough, that the, the rooms are too small, that the kitchen's too small. You can fill in all of these blanks and you can say, you know what, my house is, is not perfect like other people's houses. When we invite each other into our lives, we invite them into our homes. And it's not about how big our home is. It's not about how nice our home is. It's not about how fancy the things we have are. 
Because what's amazing about this is that the, the focus is not even on the home, right? Like we're not inviting to be hospitable is not to just like say like, hey, come to this house. I'm not going to be there, but there's a house there and you can enjoy it, right? Maybe it is at some point, but the normative hospitality is saying, come be with me and I'll be with you and we'll glory in Christ together. And so we invite each other into our homes and into our lives because they get a front row seat to what Christ has done in our lives. And we get a front row seat to what Christ has done in their lives and we get to enjoy him and, and be enthralled by him together which comes to what we talked about last week because that's scary because when someone gets a front row seat to what Christ is doing in your life, they also get a front row seat to what the sin in your heart is. And that's what happens in our homes. But what do we, what do we know? That no hospitality is wasted. That when people have a front row seat to our sin, I can tell you from experience what happens. They start to pray for it. <laughs> And they start to live life with you, and they start to ask you questions about it, and they start to send you scriptures that have to do with it, and they start to, to have a, a vested interest in your sanctification, and your being conformed to the image of Christ. We invite each other into our lives. Not only that, we accept the invitations of others into their homes and into their lives. Hospitality is not merely pursued by giving it it's also pursued by receiving it that there is none here who is above being treated with hospitality we accept the invitations of others into their homes and into their lives and let me just plea with you if someone comes up to you and says hey will you come over for dinner my plea is that you would say yes and if you can't say yes to that day, that you'd say, let's look at my calendar and let's find a day that we can both do it. Because the Christian life is, is lived in this community, right? We talked about it last week, that it's lived in this close community and this deep fellowship. And, and we say, when you invite me in, I want to be part of that. If someone invites you, go. And let me just say that if, someone is, if no one is inviting you, invite. We accept the invitations of others to come into their homes. Next, we aim for fellowship, not for entertainment. You don't have to be the best at anything to be hospitable. You don't have to be a genius at grilling. You don't have to have the, the best casseroles. You don't have to have the prettiest placemats. You don't have to have the biggest house with the most space. You don't have to have anything for entertainment's sake. One of the people I was reading this week, and I really can't remember who it is, spoke of wartime hospitality. The idea that like, our aim is to be together, not to entertain anyone. That we're not interested in being wowed by food or clothes or furniture or architecture. What we're interested in is sitting down together and being wowed by Jesus. And our homes are opportunities for that. And fellowship with one another is an opportunity for that. And you say, well, I don't have a home. I have a roommate, and I don't have a space that's, that's general space just for me to have someone over. Well, brew some coffee and go to the park and invite a brother or sister and be wowed by Jesus together. We aim for fellowship, not entertainment. Next, we treat our homes as tools for Christian ministry, not museums. I was reminded by 
When I graduated seminary, we went to uh, the presidential home on the campus, which presidential homes exist literally to be museums. They live in like a little corner, and then everything else is just always on display for everyone. And I was thinking about how in my own home, sometimes that is my temptation. That this is a, this is a, a perfect house. It never gets dirty. No one lives here. It's literally just here to show you how beautiful it is. But the Christian hospitality says that we treat our homes as tools for Christian ministry, which means that when we host people, especially when you host my children, there will be things to clean up. There will be things to pick up off the ground. There will be dishes to wash. There will be food to put away. There will be, there might be stains. There might be scuffs. And we say, praise God. We have a family in him. Next, we get creative when we don't have a home to call our own. We look to the example of Christ who had no place to lay his head. And we're hospitable in ways that there, there are tons of ways. We could sit here all day and think of ways to provide a meal for someone who's in need and take it to their home, to, to brew coffee and go to the park, to meet together somewhere else. We get creative when we don't have a home to call our own. Next, we are intentional about deepening and broadening our relationships. We look around us, and I'm for sure that you see someone here that you think, I think I know that person's name, but I don't know who that person is. Or I think I know that person a little bit, but I don't really know their story. I don't know how they came to Christ. I don't know uh, what, what has gone on in their life that got them to this point. And we look around and we say there are people who we definitely do know those things about. And we are close with them and we have, we have fellowship with them. And there are some that we don't know that about. And there are some that we know even less about. Or there, there's, there's all kinds of a spectrum of people that we know and don't know or know as well or know better. We're intentional about deepening and broadening our relationships. And this is what I love about the local church is this is what happens. Is that you have a meal with someone and immediately you have some kind of connection. And what happens? Well, you get together again, and then you get to know them a little bit better. And then you get, to, you get together again, and you ask them about their soul, and then you get to know them a little bit better. And then eventually you know each other well enough, and, you, and you're in each other's homes, and you, and you see kind of the inner workings of their homes, and you actually know already the things that they need before they say it. And they know the things that you need before you say it. We're intentional about deepening those relationships and broadening those relationships. That we invite those who are close into deeper fellowship and we invite those who are not as close into more close community. Next, we're quick to speak of Christ. I think it would be empty to say, we're hospitable, be hospitable, share your life together, and in sharing your life together, no mention of Christ is made. We're reminded that we're family because of Christ. That we belong to one another because we belong to him. That the thing that we have in common that's more important than any other thing that we have in common is that we have Christ in common. And we're quick to speak of him. Which is encouraging to our brothers and sisters. Which, has, which begins conversations that are helpful for all of us. Next, I don't even know what number it is at this point. 
we're glad when others receive hospitality. Paul has dealt in the past with covetousness, and I think this is a, is a helpful point as far as covetousness goes, that we are glad when our brothers and sisters are receiving hospitality. And a twin point is that we are glad when others are more gifted than us in practicing hospitality. If you look back up at, at Romans 12, the, the beginning section, verses, really in verses 5 through 8, if you remember, we're looking at the, the gifts, the gifts that different people have, and different people have giftings toward different things. And it doesn't mean that just because we're not as gifted at practicing hospitality as someone else, just because it doesn't come as naturally for us as it comes for someone else, that we, we covet that they have that and we don't, or that they have that and we have something else, we rejoice because what's good for the body is good for the body. We rejoice together. We welcome the guests in our weekly services. We're very clear from this pulpit that what we do here is weird if you're not a Christian, and that's what we want. That we want for our service to be, in, in, a, in a sense, this, this embassy of the world to come, and we are, we are excited about what Christ has done, and we believe what he has done, and we sing songs to him, and we, and we preach about him, and we read his word, and we pray to him. And so if you're outside of Christ, if you're apart from Christ today, our desire is that it would be a strange experience for you, but not an unwelcoming one. We want you to hear the truths of the gospel. We want you to hear what Christ has done, and we plead with you to believe in him, to stake your life on him. Next, we use hospitality as a means to share the gospel. And I think about this in my own life. When it snowed two years ago, worse than it had snowed in a long time, I had a neighbor that I had not met yet, and I really didn't know him. Uh, I knew that all my other neighbors were like, this dude's really weird. We don't talk to him. So that's all I knew. And his car was stuck in the snow. And I don't have a vehicle that can do that. But at the time, one of, one of my brothers in Christ did, and we had this, this, this moment where Steve, my neighbor, who he had never met and who we did not know, he needed his car out of his driveway so that he could go to work. And I knew that he was living alone, and I knew that it was 20 degrees outside, and so we took him some Tupperware of leftover dinner, and, and he said, man, i got to go to work, but I can't get my car out. And I was like, we have a guy here. He has a truck, and he can help you. I didn't have that in myself. But praise God that I had brothers and sisters that I was living in community with, that, that I had deep fellowship with, who did have that. And guess what it did? It opened up an opportunity for us to share the gospel with Steve. And I don't know where Steve is today, but I, but I do know that no hospitality is wasted. And I do know that we can use hospitality as a means to share the gospel because what better way to naturally share the gospel with someone than to be praising Christ around your table and someone be there who doesn't know him and they, and they can ask those questions and they can be part of that conversation. When we speak of Christ together, we have the opportunity to share the gospel in our hospitality. And along with that, again, another sub-point, we deny that hospitality means that we must affirm the lifestyles of those that we are hospitable toward. I think it's important because I think people abuse this point, and they, they say, well, Jesus ate with sinners, which is true, 
But Jesus never sinned with sinners. And I think that we can follow that direction, that example, and we can dine with those apart from Christ without sinning with them, and that we can do it so that we can share the gospel with them. And I think finally, this is the the last point that I hope helps us to gather all of these together. We remember that all of these things are not, I didn't say all these things so that you'd make a list on your to-do list of all of the ways that you should be hospitable. Because we remember that our hospitality is empowered by the Spirit of God. That all of this comes from the relationship that we have with Christ because of the ultimate act of hospitality that he, he practiced toward us in saving us from our sins and in giving us a hope that we didn't have of adopting us as sons. If you're trying to make a list, you will have no longevity in hospitality just by thinking, I should do that, I should do that, I should do that. You will have longevity in hospitality if you remember what Christ has done, if you, if you glory and in, in are enthralled by the work of Christ on your behalf, and if you remember that the Spirit of God is the one who empowers you to do this, and if you're reminded of the fact that we, we looked at in verse 12, be constant in prayer. We can pray for these things, and the Lord is happy to give. You can pray, Lord, help me, show me who I can be hospitable to, who's out there. Lord, help me to be a more hospitable person, to let go of of things that I hold so tightly. Our hospitality is empowered by the Spirit of God. And in the power of His Spirit, we can be hospitable. We have the power to obey because the Spirit dwells within us. And as we close, I really do want you to sit here and think, and I hope that the Lord has shown you through His Word ways that you can be hospitable, ways that you can welcome in strangers, that you can make a stranger a friend, way that you can grow deeply in relationship with one another, and that you can grow grow closer in community with one another. But here's what I don't want. I don't want you to look at this and to say, man, so terrible that I've been a Christian for this long and this, is, this hasn't been the pattern of my life. I don't think that's the point of what Paul's saying. What we, what we see from the Scriptures is a command from Christ. The command is not to sit and think about all the ways we could have been hospitable in the past. The command is to be reminded of what Christ has done for us and be hospitable today. To, to start today. To Welcome strangers and, and bring strangers into friendship because what, of what Christ has done for us to make strangers friends. Let's pray.